Continuing our study here in 2 Kings 18 through 20, as well as 2 Chronicles 30, and we're going to start off in chapter 30. It's an exciting time. We spoke about Hezekiah last time, and the Hezekiah's name means the Lord strengthens. He had a 29-year reign, and uh, he needed God's strength to accomplish all that he did. He was one of the godliest kings uh, there in Judah, alongside Asa, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, and uh, his model was David. And uh, Hezekiah wasn't perfect, and as we'll look at today, but God used him in a, a mighty way. He cleansed the temple. When he came to power, he went into the temple and he cleansed the idols. He consecrated the temple, dedicating it unto the Lord, and then... Chapter 30, verses 1, we're going to read uh, here in chapter 30, the entirety, not all right now, but uh, the fact is he celebrated the Passover. He said, it is important that we as a church, or we as a, uh, as a people, come together and celebrate the Passover. And uh, chapter 30 of 2 Chronicles 30, and Hezekiah, uh, verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 30, and Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel of his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time, because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. Neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem, and the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. So the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, and according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again, unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. Now, there's several things. Three times each year, the Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover, uh, Tabernacles, and Pentecost. And uh, today, the Christian believer today, the Passover speaks of the death of Jesus Christ. On Pentecost, uh, we understand that the early church, which was already existing, it wasn't birthed on, uh, uh, it wasn't birthed on Pentecost because Jesus started the church. But uh, it, was, it, it was empowered there. It was kind of like a child is still a, a child in the womb, but on the day that it's born, it, it's breathing real air. And so the church there in Jerusalem was empowered on Pentecost. And uh, tabernacle speaks of the future kingdom when Jesus shall reign and we will reign with him. And uh, the Passover obviously commemorated them leaving Egypt. <clears throat> and so he invites Jews from all over Judah and Israel, which is Samaria, to come to Jerusalem for the feast. Now, I, I find it interesting that he said it's more important to be holy than it is to partake of the feast unworthily. And that's, that's quite telling because uh, even today, as churches partake of communion, uh, they do so in a way where each individual uh, and the members of the church, they are to examine their heart uh, about what they do, examine to make sure they're right before God. Because if they're not, they could very well be sick and God could kill them. And uh, the, emph the emphasis here is on the invitation. In verse 7, And be not like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespass against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation as you see. So there had not been a Passover like this since the day of Solomon, really when he dedicated the temple. 
And uh, the northern kingdom was under the rule of Assyria, and the Jewish remnant living there worshipped the gods. But Hezekiah says, I want everyone to partake of this. Uh, we, need to get whole, we need to be holy. We need to be right before the Lord. We need to return to proper worship. And uh, they needed to get back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, we are the people of God. Uh, we need to get back to the commandments of God. And that's the same thing in, again we see. But in verse 8, he says, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his, sanct uh, his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. Serve the Lord your God that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. What would Can you imagine a king or some uh, high-ranking political figure coming out saying, Nation, repent, or God's going to judge us. I, I, I mean, that would be amazing. If you had, a, if you had a, a, a leader that would say, turn, verse 9, for if you turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive. So they shall come again into this land, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if ye return unto him. He's calling them to turn again and return. So the idea is don't be stiff-necked, don't be rebellious. Yield yourselves unto the Lord. There is a, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, as James discusses. And so the, the idea here is he built the appeal around the words of Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7.14. The idea is, if my, as, as he would state there in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then God says... And you look at that, we can look back here. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 7.14. I want to get the totality of that verse there. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Could it, very be, could it well be that in nations today, the famine and the hardships that nations are facing is due to the corruption and wickedness of that very nation? We see that there. God says, I will heal. So could it be that the inflation that we are seeing in our land today is a direct result of the absolute depravity of our nation? A wicked nation, wicked nations all over this world. And he wants to make a new beginning. Now, most of the people outside, in verse 10, have you ever tried to do right in your life? I remember when I quit drinking, my friends who called themselves Christians, I told them, I said, I'm not going to the bars anymore. And they laughed at me. They didn't want any part of that. You find the very similar thing here in verse 10. So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim unto Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. They're laughing at Hezekiah for his desire to return to the Lord because the people are so given to idolatry and paganism. They wanted nothing to do with it. You realize that if you want to do right for God, sometimes you're going to have to be the lone ranger. You're going to be all by yourself. There's a loneliness in doing right. And uh, there were some people who had the courage to disagree with their family and friends and they would go to the, the feast but nevertheless, your own family, I know sometimes even my own family, my siblings, my brother and my sister, none of, both of them are not 
uh, where they should be in their walk with the Lord. I don't believe my brother's even in church anymore. My sister uh, goes to a, uh, I guess you could call it a church, but it's very compromised. doesn't have a clear gospel. And raising children in that, and my heart breaks. I'd love for them, to, for the, my, my nephew and niece to, to come to know the Lord, nephew and nieces, both of them. But you find here, going a little further, let's look at verse 10. So the post passed from city to, uh, we read verse 10, verse 11. Nevertheless, diverse of Asher, Manasseh, and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. See, in a humility of of state of mind and a humility of heart, you're willing to face the, the ridicule of your own family and friends to do what's right before God. In verse 12, also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. You're going to have to make a decision. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, irrespective of what my family wants to do. I'm not going to give in, I'm not going to capitulate, I'm not going to bow down to the scorn, and I'm not going to have a fear of man that keeps me from doing what God has called me to do. And so God, as, as all these people, when they humble themselves and they come together, and the desire is to, to get their hearts in a remembrance of the, de, the deliverance of God from Egypt, there was a oneness and unity of heart. In churches, when they get their mind on the Great Commission, they get their mind on serving Jesus Christ, get their minds off of themselves, and a church is unified in doctrine. There's a oneness there, a power of God. There, verse 13, and there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In the second month, a great congregation, a very great congregation, they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense took they away and cast them in the brook Kidron. Then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner. According to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priest, sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killings of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh and Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God. Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people and the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem, kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with a great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments in the Lord. And Hezekiah spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. And the whole assembly took counsel to keep other seven days, and they kept other seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, did give to the congregation a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep. And the princes gave to the congregation a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep, and a great number of priests sanctified themselves. And all the congregation of Judah, with the priests and the Levites, and all the congregation that came out of Israel, and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel, and that dwelt in Judah, rejoiced. 
So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. Notice with me, when you prepare your heart, you get right with God, there's a return to joy. The people removed the altars of King Ahaz that they had put up there in Jerusalem. Really, the people were eager to worship, and the priests and the, the Levites were ceremonially unclean, and Hezekiah prays over them to remedy the situation. Hey, they're seeking the God, uh, the Lord God of their fathers. He says, hey, forgive them, Lord. Yes, there's been a cleansing of the temple, the dedication of the temple, but there's still some in the congregation that want to partake, but, and they're willing to get right. King Ahaz stopped these services, and the priests allowed themselves to become disqualified to serve at the altar. And many common people that would attend were unclean. Perhaps they left their home quickly, or perhaps they had been defiled during the journey to Jerusalem if they had come some long distance. Exodus 12 talks about this. In the first day, there should be a holy conv- uh, convocation. In the seventh day, there should be a holy convocation to you. No matter work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that, uh, that only may be done of you. Exodus 12 And seven days they're to eat of it, to keep it as a feast forever in every generation. It also tells us they're to eat unleavened bread, Exodus 13. It is a sign for a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth and, and a remembrance of their deliverance. So the fact is, these people, their hearts, some of them are leaving their family. Remember the northern kingdom had never had a godly king, never. And those ten tribes of Israel never had a king who followed in the steps of David. Never. And Hezekiah knew that God was concerned about the hearts of the worshipers, and he prayed that God would cleanse and he would accept them. Why is it important that a believer, a worshiper of God, have a clean heart? Would you turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15? 1 Samuel, chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15. And verse 22. 1 Samuel chapter 20, 15, verse 22. He's speaking to Saul. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Why is it important? I know as our daughter, if she exhibits rebellion, stubbornness. God calls it witchcraft. He calls it iniquity and idolatry. Well, I don't want that in my home. I don't want it in my heart. God's got to work on me when I, when I get stubborn and rebellious. And the fact is, If we allow rebellion in our lives, in our homes, in churches, then God's power 
is not there. God says, I would rather a right heart than to you to sacrifice. People can pray, they can read the Bible, they can go to church, they can evangelize, but if they do it in a state of rebellion, God says, I don't want it, I want a heart, right heart first. We get so caught up so many times with all of the trappings of religion, these are the good things, read your Bible, pray, go to church, and those are good things. But I'm not concerned about the primary thing. Is my heart right as I'm coming to worship God? Am I right with God? Am I right with others? Because if I'm not right with God and I'm not right with others, I'm living in a state of rebellion. And realize this, that God's hand would be removed from King Saul. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1. Is your heart really important to be pure. I remember one summer I was, uh, I had to travel, I was doing teen evangelism. I was going, I went to eight different churches. I held uh, week-long youth rallies for teenagers. And uh, I had a guy that traveled with me. He did the younger kids, I did the teenagers. And uh, there were a few times, I remember, we would have quite a squabble or quite a conflict before uh, we would go to the church where we were meeting. And he was a rather young man, and uh, we had differences of opinions. And I remember so often God just indelibly marked it upon my mind that I would be angry sometimes with him while I was preaching, and man, God's heavy hand was upon me, and I felt like my preaching was just dead. It was hard. Because I wasn't right. I want you to look at verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. I weigh with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean." Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. God says, get right. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. How about Micah chapter 6? I want to show you another passage. You say, Pastor, I'm getting the point. But I want us to realize that God is concerned with my heart as I approach him in worship. He wants a pure heart. He wants a heart that is set on putting him first. In Micah chapter 6, verse 6, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. 
And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justice, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You know, the, the gentleman in Mark chapter 12 came to Jesus, and Master, what good, you know, there is, <laughs> he comes, you know, what good thing can I do? And uh, the scribe said to him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and love his neighbor as himself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Here, a scribe recognizes God and says, Hey, first of all, I want you to love me with all your heart. If I love him with all my heart, I'm going to approach him in a purity of heart. Not that we don't ever mess up, but when I do mess up, I fess up. God doesn't want religious ritual for religious ritual's sake. There is not some mysterious, mystical thing that happens if I go through the worship of God with an impure heart. God's not going to want it. Now, you can fabricate it, you can synthesize it, try to make people feel that way, but if you're living in sin, God's not going to be a part of it. It would be the legalists in the congregation that would have been upset at this very idea. Are you telling me? You know, in Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy holy judgment from me. David would come to a brokenness. Hey, God, cleanse my heart. There was so much joy in the people as they came together and he commences and he organizes the temple ministry. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 31. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31. Now Hezekiah, I mean Hezekiah, he starts his ministry on fire for God. He starts it in purity for God. But does it stay that way? Let's read. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, And when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out of the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high place and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim also and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his possession to their own cities. And Hezekiah appointed the courses of the priests and the Levites after their courses, every man according to his service, the priests and Levites for burnt offerings and for peace offerings, to minister, and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the tents of the Lord. So he, what he does in this whole passage of Scripture is he gets things back in the order that God established. He knew that the blessings of the Passover feast aren't going to continue if things aren't set in order. The ministry of the temple, the ministry of the, house, of, of the king's house, all of these things, if you read this entire chapter, they needed to be set back in order. God is a God of order. He's not of uh, chaos and confusion. They destroy the idols in the temples. People are on fire for God. But a fire for God now doesn't mean you're going to have a fire for God tomorrow. It's every day with the purity of heart. He gets the staff, he gets all the proper staff in the temple, he gets all the, the ministries and the organization and the food and all that stuff to prepare to take care of the priests and the Levites. He allocated uh, chambers in the temple to store the gifts that he had appointed as faithful men to oversee the distribution of food amongst the nation. And then, 
something happens. We turn to 2 Kings 18, a very sad state of affairs occurs. In 2 Kings 18, verse 7, And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. He smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And it came to pass, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years they took it, even the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria, was taken." And the king of Israel did carry away uh, Israel unto Assyria and put them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gozan and in the cities by, of the Medes. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded and would not hear nor do them. Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib king of Assyria come up against the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended, return from me, that which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria pointed to Hezekiah, king of Judah, three hundred talents of silver and thirty talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave them all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. At that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold. What happens here? He cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Judah had been a servant or vassal state under Assyria for a time. Sennacherib was involved in the empire concerns, and Hezekiah didn't send their annual tribute, their taxes, to Assyria like they should have. So in the year 722, Israel was, Israel, the ten tribes, was attacked and destroyed, captured. In 715, Sennacherib invaded Judah and headed toward Jerusalem. Some of the wealth from the king's own treasures, verse 15, was given, but he did something. He followed the bad example of his father. He negotiated rather than supplicated. He didn't go to God. He merely gave the money that he needed to give he took it from God's house. That didn't belong to him. He took what belonged to God and gave it to the king of Assyria. He followed the example of King Ahaz, his dad. Sennacherib now withdraws from Judah, but he has the intention of returning. It took place 15 years before his death in the year 687. Hezekiah, in his own pride, says, I can solve the problem. I'm now king. Potentially, and you read about this, that Hezekiah would have a sickness and he would die. His sickness and his healing as well as the visit of Babylonian ambassadors occurred in the year 702 B.C. The next year the Assyrians would return and attack Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles 32, 24, we'll read here. 32, 24, 2 Chronicles 32, 24. In those days Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. 
But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done in him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, there was wrath upon him, upon Judah and Jerusalem. Whatever happens when you, when you get pride in your heart. God, I've got it. I can do it now. He was told to set his house in order. His son Manasseh had become king in the year 687, at the age of 22. He was born in the year 709. He would have been seven years old when Isaiah told his father he was going to die. Joash had ascended to the throne at the age of seven. But he had Jehoiada, the godly priest, to advise him. Obviously, the throne of David was in jeopardy. Hezekiah's response was to turn away from all unto himself, you know, from all around him. He prayed to the Lord, and there was a boasting. He gave to the king what belonged to God. Thankfully, in this particular instance, he messed up, and then he realized, I've messed up. His response, if you read, going on, verse 17 of 2 Kings 18, And the king of Assyria sent to Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the Fuller's Field. And when they had called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Thou sayest, But they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom dost thou trust? That thou rebellest against me. Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of his bruised reed, even upon Egypt. On which if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all that trust him. But if he say unto me, We trust in the Lord our God, is not that he, whose, pli- whose high place and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away, and hath said to Jude in Jerusalem, He shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. So this is a good position here. Hezekiah, you know, Rabshakeh is coming against them. And uh, if you'll read on, you'll find that Hezekiah is broken. But the end state of Hezekiah is the boasting. God would tell at the end of Hezekiah's life, and so the people repent, they come to God, they plead with him, and God gives deliverance for a time. Hezekiah's prayer, by telling Isaiah of how to bring about healing, and by giving Isaiah two great promises to share with Hezekiah. First, the king would recover. He'd worship at the temple within three days. And second, the Lord would defend and deliver the city of Jerusalem. Hezekiah's illness would come before the second invasion of Sennacherib's army. And God would give him a miraculous sign. Shadows on the steps of Ahaz, a a large sundial, would go backwards 10 degrees. That's amazing. The sun would literally go backwards 10 degrees. Did God reverse the movement of the planet or cause the shadow itself to go back on these steps? We don't know, (laughs) but uh, he doesn't explain, but we know that God turned the sun backwards. And we would find that God disciplines us as Hezekiah had seen God do great things. You read 2 Kings 18, and and, uh, God just gave him great deliverance, and we'll look further at this, but man, because you're with God today does not mean you're going to be with God tomorrow. Every day is a new day to make a decision that I'm going to obey God today. Every day. 
God will chasten us. And the Hebrews 12 tells us if you're without chastisement, the Bible says, then you are, as the Bible says there in Hebrews, it calls bastards. A child who born out of wedlock. You're not my child. If you, if you don't have, if you do not have chastisement, you don't have God. You're not a child of God. And Hezekiah in Isaiah chapter 38 would be a singer and He'd be healed and given 15 more years to serve God. He would, Hezekiah saw a life of a journey. He ended at the gates of death, or Sheol, and the Hebrew word for the realm of the dead. And he was in the prime of his life and yet was being robbed of the rest of his years. 37, 38 years of age. He lamented that he was leaving the land of living and as he would go near death at the end of his life, pride set in. I'd much rather start bad and end well than to start well and end bad. How are you going to finish the race of life? In Isaiah, if you would look further, Isaiah 38, the atmosphere changes. He gives thanks to God. I'm and he thanks God for rescuing him in mercy. And God not only saved his life, he cleansed his record and put his sins behind his back. Isaiah 43, let's look at this. You know, I've, many a Christian has had a life, or even non-Christians, have had a life that is rather, let's say ungodly, rather wicked. And that wicked life can plague you as I am so unworthy, and we're all unworthy. But my unworthiness, as esteemed by the world, but before God, I want us to notice what God says about my past. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. God says, listen, I'm going to cleanse the record. Micah 7, 19 tells us, He will turn again, He will have compassion upon us, He will subdue our iniquities, and Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Our iniquities are blotted out forever. The Lord had disciplined the king because of pride, 2 Chronicles 32, 24, and 25. We read this of Hezekiah's life. And the king promised to walk humbly the rest of his life. He dedicated himself to praising the Lord, telling the next generation about God. Perhaps that's when he organized the men of Hezekiah so that the biblical manuscripts would be copied and carried out and protected. However, as we would see in 2 Chronicles 32, 25, pride raised its ugly head again. The greatest thing we need to be careful of is our own pride. That I am sufficient, I can do it, I don't need you to tell me I don't need the word of God. I've got it all figured out. And once again, Hezekiah's pride rears its head and a great devastation will occur. And my friend, God's desire in our hearts, Hezekiah saw unbelievable things. I mean, it says there was no Passover like what he had. I mean, God used him to mightily return. Revival breaks out. But revival doesn't continue when there's wicked hearts. Every day, there is a need for a purity of heart. There's a need for 
a reconciliation with God. We've been called to the ministry of reconciliation, but how can I call others to reconciliation when I myself am not reconciled to God because there's known sin in my life? Pride will bring you down every time, and it is painful. And I trust as we think upon these truths and the making of a king, Hezekiah was a wonderful king. We think about just because today may be well doesn't mean tomorrow will go well. Every day, I humbly come to the cross. I humbly come. And I ask God every day, show me the sin in my heart. As we mentioned on Wednesday night, as we had the message, the need, God, is there any sin between me? God, is there any hurt and is there any bitterness in my life? Every day. That's the very thing that will pull you away from the blessings and promises and sweet fellowship of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for being our gracious Redeemer. My Father, I, I yield today to Thee. I, Lord, I pray in our own hearts that You'd reveal our idolatry, you reveal our pride. And Lord, that we would do well. God, I pray that You'd purify our church. Purify me. Father, may we shine brighter as a lighthouse for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, for the pleasing of you, our Father. God, I need your help. We need godly families, godly men, godly women. So, Lord, I yield it all to thee. I thank you for being our gracious Savior. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you at 11.